Good morning. Good morning, Calvary. Good morning. Yes, it is a good morning. Let's stand together. And in honor of God's word, let's read this Psalm 96 out loud together. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing, Sing to, to the, the Lord, Lord all the earth. Sing, Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all the gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Do you believe that this morning? All right, let's sing these words together. Creatures of our God and King. Sing it loud. Lift up your voice with the sing. Oh, praise Hallelujah. The burning sun. Thou burning sun with gold. Softer King, oh praise oh praise Hallelujah, Hallelujah,
Take a minute right now, just with your eyes closed. Let those words come back into your mind and into your heart. My heart will sing no other name but Jesus. 
Use this time just to let all the distractions in your life fall away. Any other names, any other idols in your life, just let them fall before the Lord right now so that you can mean it when you sing those words. so good to us and we believe and we know that you are on the throne that you will forever reign but I pray in the name of Jesus over my brothers and sisters today in this room that we would be bound together with that truth that you are king you're the creator of heaven and earth you hold the world in its place and yet you are here with us whoa I pray that we would stand in reverence of that truth of a holy God that leads us into the path of righteousness and guides us by still waters so that we can find rest today. God, we know that we live in a very busy and distracted culture, and so I pray that we would just find rest in you today and hope in the unity of your church and peace. So, Lord, as we take up our cross today to follow you, I pray that it would, wouldn't be half obedience, but that it would be completely from our hearts, that we would surrender all that we are to you as we sing these old words together. In Jesus' name. I surrender all. Sing it loud. Sing it together. I surrender. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Sing that again. I surrender all. Oh, I surrender all. 
Father, we surrender all we are to you. We trust you now as you teach us, as you guide us through your word. God, we know that it won't return void because your word is alive. And thank you for giving it to us as a gift so that we can be changed once again this morning as we listen. We love you. 
We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Thank you. It's great to be worshiping together with you today. It's fantastic standing up in the front and hearing all of your voices uh, sort of cascade over joys in my heads, and it's a pleasure to be able to hear you worshiping together. We're worshiping our Father in heaven, but we have not forgotten that today is Father's Day on earth as well, and so we want to recognize all of the dads that are here, but before we do so, I want to recognize that dads are heroes, and so we need them in our lives, and so here's a little bit of a clip to help us to understand the heroic ways that dads help us out. <laughs> oh, she's going again. She's going again. John doesn't hit him towards his swing. Or Sailor. <laughs> Good boy. Donnie Corey. dads. There are cameras everywhere, so watch out. Listen, we want to thank all the dads that are here today. Would you mind uh, standing? I'm standing as a dad, and I want to invite you to stand. We want to pray a blessing over you, and thank you for your wonderful roles that have been played. Thank you. You're heroic in your own way, whether you caught your kids in the swing or not, but you have played a vital role uh, in all of our lives, and so we're thankful for you. And I want to pray God's blessing upon us as we continue to live out that life and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these men. I thank you, Lord, for their role that they have played that is so powerful and so instrumental in the lives of children. God, thank you for blessing them with the gift of fatherhood. And then thank you for the role of helping those children grow up well. God, help us as men that we would learn so much from you as our Heavenly Father that we would be able to pass on those riches of who you are to those that follow us behind in the next generations to follow. For the children, for the grandchildren, and for some cases the great-grandchildren. God, thank you for that. And bless these men in the ongoing role that they play. No matter the age, no matter the age of the children, God, there is still a role to be played. And I pray your blessing, your strength, your power, your encouragement on this day especially. So we thank you for that as we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, men. It's good to have you part of the ministry.
No better place for a man to be than to worship the Father in heaven on Father's Day. So thank you for being here, because there's been a lot of other places you could be. I invite you to take your Bibles in hand as we continue on a journey on a passage that really is highly relevant for fathers on Father's Day as well. It's in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, that I'm going to begin the reading, but it's in Galatians 4 where we're going to emphasize our Father's love for us. And this morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different because it's Father's Day. And I've never done this before. I've preached uh, at least 40 Father's Day sermons over the course of my life. But this is going to be a Sunday that is a first for me because I'm going to co-teach. I'm going to co-teach today with my dad. So I know it might seem a little self-indulgent, but just um, play along. Maybe it'll make sense as we go along here. So in Galatians chapter 4, it actually begins in the first three verses that are preceding it. In the area of the world that today we would call Turkey, an area of Galatia, these are real people who live real lives just like you and me. And Paul is writing to them, and he says, this is a battle of truth and grace, overcome the culture of that day to enter into the God's culture and mindset as well. So he says, for you are all who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. He has totally wrapped himself around us. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor freeman. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And then continues on. It's unfortunate in some ways it's a chapter break there. Because he continues on to say, now I say, as long as the heir, because he's talking about this inheritance, goes all the way back to Abraham, Now, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from the slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoption as sons." And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And of a son, then an heir through God. So it's a wonderful passage, especially I'm thankful that it is on Father's Day that we get to examine this together. And let me just preface everything with this. When it comes to study of God's Word, it's important for those who really want to be students of God's Word to understand that there was a primary audience and a primary application. We'll talk about some of the cultural primary influences that Paul is addressing here when he talks about you're no longer a slave, but now you're a son. That's sort of a foreign concept to our culture today. And then there is a secondary application where you and I can find other ways in which the truth that is there can be applied in our lives. I'll show you that as we go along. The first thing that we notice that he wants us to understand about our Father's love for us is that our Father loves to remove overbearing expectations so we can grow into into maturity. God wants to release us from those things that would hold us back. We all want to please our Father. I still remember way back when I was about in sixth grade playing Little League Baseball, and I discovered that I needed to start wearing eyeglasses. I hated the fact that I had to wear eyeglasses. 
I would bring my eyeglasses to school in this little brown case that I can still remember how it smelled so new and fresh. And my mother would ask me when I got home from school, did you wear your eyeglasses today? And here's what I did. In those days, you had desks where you would raise up the top of the desk and stick your head in it. So that's what I did. I put my head in there and I put my eyeglasses on, took them off and put the desktop down and put my eyeglasses away because I thought I was a nerdy ne'er-do-well wearing eyeglasses because in those days they weren't cool. I can't imagine that people wear them today and they don't even have lenses in them. Well, in those days, not wearing eyeglasses, I was playing Little League Baseball and I was in the outfield, in center field as a matter of fact, and I still remember that day when suddenly there was a little baseball player that hit a smack of a ball. I heard the, I heard the ball smack so loud, so, so clear and strong. And then everybody just stopped as this ball was flying through the air. And I never saw the ball. I couldn't tell where the ball was. And then suddenly the ball landed a foot in front of me and bounced against me. I picked it up, threw it in. But after that ball landed right in front of me, I can still to this day, and I was in sixth grade then, and so that was just like a couple of years ago. And I can still remember, I can still remember hearing my dad say, David! In sort of that disapproving way. Now, he wanted me to do well. He didn't want me to make mistakes out there. But I felt more ashamed over uh, his disapproval than I did of missing the baseball. We want to... Uh, we want to earn the approval of our fathers. And God says, I get that. So I don't want you to have to have overbearing expectations of earning my approval. In the story of Galatians, they had to do all these things, they thought, to earn God's approval. And God says, no, I don't want, to do that. I don't want you to live that way. And so he goes on to teach us this wonderful truth here in this passage and getting in verses 1 through 3. Now I say as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. Now just stopping there, there's a lot about this in the primary application that is irrelevant for you and me. Today, we don't have guardians and managers helping us grow up. We have schools, we have other forms, but not like what they're talking about here. In those days, they had guardians and managers who were probably slaves. And these slaves would have charge over these children until they're about age 14. And these children couldn't do anything without the permission of the slave. These children couldn't go anywhere without the presence of a slave. So they had high control over these kids. And they had no freedom to be who they are or who they wanted to be. Because mom and dad would hire or take slaves to be the guardians and managers to run the household. And what they were, as Paul is saying here, does not differ at all from a slave. He said, you're just like a slave. As children, you're like slaves growing up in those homes. Paul says, I understand that in this Grecian world that we live in, you're like a slave. Until the date comes, the date set by the father. So about age 14, a date set by the father, the father would then release them from the guardianship and the managers of those who would rule over them. Because I want to set you free, he says. And in those days, they had this thing called toga virilis. And they would wrap their children around at age 14. They would wrap them around with this coat. And this coat would symbolize that you are now moving into the inheritance of we as a family. You're no longer functioning as a slave. You're now becoming my son. 
So Paul takes that primary application and spiritualizes it. He says, in this world in which we live, you are living under the Old Testament laws. And they're like treating you like a slave. He says, I don't want you to earn approval by keeping the laws. I want you to realize that you are no longer a slave to the Old Testament laws. You are now my son. And so that application is being lived out in these people's lives. And so he brings us to this point that he wants us to have a mature relationship that is free from a slave-like control. God does not want us to suffer under his unreasonable expectations like a slave would do that. He wants us to be freed up. And then secondly, we learn from those verses, a mature relationship is free from earning approval because we don't have guardians and managers because we're not slaves to the Father. We are sons of the Father. So we who are fathers need to help our children in a secondary application. We who are fathers need to help our children grow up as sons and daughters, not slaves who are controlled and have overbearing expectations for them to gain approval. One of the things I learned from my dad, he taught this. We had citrus trees in our backyard there in Phoenix, and I've got these three grapefruit. I've got a little tiny baby grapefruit. It's like a little five-year-old kid. And then I have a grown-up grapefruit that it's all yellow, ready to be eaten. Then I have a rotten grapefruit. And it actually has, I left this in my office for the last two days, there are literally are bugs flying out of this. And I don't know where they came from, but they have hatched and they have reproduced. And now my office has lots of little tiny gnats flying around. <laughs> and one of the things my dad taught me and that I'm going to teach you is that we all start out green, young, learning, needing to grow. And the goal is that we become mature, ripe, full, complete all that God has for us. The risk is that if not done well, we can rot, we can dry up, we can become less than all that God has for us. And the role that the Father in heaven has for us is to allow us to ripen fully. That's why in Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, how the Spirit wants us to bear good fruit for him. And the last thing God wants for us is to somehow, with un unbearable expectations that we squash the spirit from an overbearing, over-controlling kind of a guardian manager that holds people back and doesn't liberate them into who God wants them to be. That our hearts become rotten and our faith in Jesus Christ becomes shriveled up, dried up. God wants us to grow and so he gives to us a fatherly model from him in heaven so that we can grow, we can produce, we can bear fruit, we can be all that God wants us to be. And then he goes on to show us that. He shows this expectation of the fatherly, sovereignly rule that is over us, that that is taking place here in these next couple of verses. In verses 4 through 6, it says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, no longer a slave under a guardian, but now a son set free. It's interesting that when they transferred from slavery to sonship, they actually had a ceremony. 
In the Jewish world, you call it a bar mitzvah. In the Grecian world, it had another term. And what they would do is these children, these boys and these girls, would bring the dolls and the toys that they had as a little kid. And they would bring those dolls and they would sacrifice them to their Roman god. And that was symbolic of saying, you are no longer the slave who is immature, but now you are being set free, being clothed with the toga, like we're clothed with Christ, to symbolize that now you have become a son with all the inheritance of this family. So Paul is playing off that primary application to show the bigger picture of a spiritual application, that in the time, the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So what the Father loves to do is to reveal to us the power of who he is. Now what I love about this, it says when the fullness of time came, there's a lot of thinking about what that is, and I'm not even sure I know what that is because God may be having something else in mind. But some of the speculation of the fullness of time is that God waited until after the Babylonian captivity way back in the 400, 500 B.C. era, and he waited until after there was this period of sort of darkness, spiritual darkness, and then when the Roman Empire began to take control and built roads, normalized the Greek language that was being able to use to be able to communicate to people across county and country lines. In the fullness of time, God had sort of the cultural, political, and even religious dominoes all lined up so that it was the time that Jesus could be born into this world. God could have done it any time, but Paul looks at this and says it was the fullness of time. It was the right time. So God did something, and he sent his son. And the Father controls this time so he could redeem us. The Father, this is the primary application, spiritually speaking, that God is the mighty God that saw a fitting time for the Son Jesus to come to do three things, to redeem us, to adopt us, and seal us by that Holy Spirit. So he says, I have this thing under control. I'm in charge of this. It may not always look like I know what I'm doing from the earthly perspective, but he says, in the fullness of time, I offered to you Jesus. God sent forth his son. Jesus is fully God. God sent Jesus, born of a woman, fully man. And then he also thirdly said, I sent my son who kept the law. He was sinless. He was qualified. So God gives us this major macro picture of a sovereign rule that in the fullness of time, His desire for us is no longer to be slaves to the elemental, primary, philosophical, humanistic, cultural values of today, but that we would become his sons and daughters and that we would know the freedom of a father in heaven who sent in the fullness of time his son to redeem us, to adopt us, and seal us with his Holy Spirit. Now that's God in heaven. This is what God does. Now let me bring a secondary application. When we who are fathers have an opportunity to somehow capture a little bit of that, sort of like the moon and the sun, we we sort of capture a little radiance of who God is so we can reflect it to those around us and how we live our lives, how I live my life. So here's where I bring my dad into the picture in a relatively self-indulgent way. 
Here's three images of my dad. On the far left, you see him way back in the 1960s. I remember I was in high school then, and he grew this beautiful Ernest Hemingway beard. And Bethany Bible Church thought for sure he was on LSD. Because when he walked out, when he walked out on the platform with his big old beard, they were shocked. Dr. Mitchell, what are you doing? You've got to remember, those are the days, ties and coats, and very formal. And the chancel choirs up there and all that stuff going on. Well, my dad had beautiful red hair in those days, and I put this in an email. But to show the sovereign control of God, my dad hated his red hair. How many of you hate something about your life? Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. We'll have therapy for you afterwards. I'll lead it. I'll lead it. My dad hated his red hair because it always made him stand out. And way back in those days in the 40s, 1940s, he was at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he felt so frustrated with God about his red hair until he heard Dr. Chafer, who was the president of Dallas Seminary, say this. Dr. J. Vernon McGee, who was the pastor of the church, the open door way back, that was sort of the Rick Warren Saddleback Church of the day back in those days in the 50s and the 40s and the 50s and 60s. Well, Dr. McGee came to the campus to speak and to look for an assistant pastor. And asked Dr. Chafer, do you know of anybody that would be a good assistant pastor to our church? And search the open door. And Dr. Chafer says, well, there's this one guy I've been noticing. He's got bright red hair. Why don't you start with him? So Dr. McGee began with my dad because pointed him out with a bright red hair. And Dr. McGee hired my dad. My dad became the assistant pastor from 1951 to 1955. And as a result of that, in 1955, Bethany Bible Church in Phoenix, Arizona, was looking for a pastor called Dr. McGee. Said, do you know of anybody that would like to become pastor? Would you like to become pastor of our church? And Dr. McGee said, there are three reasons why I won't become your pastor in Phoenix, Arizona, June, July, and August. (laughs) And that's what he told them. But I have an assistant here who might be perfect for you. So Dr. John L. Mitchell and Dorothy Jo Mitchell and Diane Mitchell and David Mitchell went to Phoenix And he became pastor at Phoenix and served for almost 30 years. And everything else has fallen into place since then. The red hair that my dad hated was the reason that God sovereignly orchestrated those situations. Not only that, but now I'd like for you to hear from my dad through the magic of recordings. It's always a little daunting when you're a preacher because everything's on tape. Even the bad stuff. But here's the good stuff. Would you listen to my dad as he told the story of God sovereignly working in his life? And I'll bring application to us. Take a look and listen on the screens. You can read it. And when I finished seminary, uh, I was invited by the First Presbyterian Church of Cleburne, Texas, a little town, 10,000 people just outside of Dallas, 50 miles outside of Dallas. And they invited me to come and be their pastor. But I was struggling. How does a young fellow who's a bachelor, single and all of that, go into a situation uh, with, well, you know what would be found in the congregation? Girls from all the community would be coming to catch hold of this 
He thought of a lot of himself in those days. And so I didn't know what, whether I should go or not. I thought maybe it would be better for me to go to an assistant pastor someplace. And Dallas has a day of prayer, just like you have, will have a day of prayer in a few weeks. And I went to that day of prayer, and it was November the 17th. And we were encouraged in that day of prayer to um, make some decisions for prayer subjects. And so I prayed for wisdom as to whether I should accept this call of this church in Cleveland, Texas. And then the scripture was read from the pulpit in the chapel. And this was what was read in Exodus 33, verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. And I have that underscored in this Bible that I had in my hands at that time. You have told me to bring up this people. You have called me to this church in Cleveland, but you have not told me whom you will send with me as your life's companion. I said, that's what I want to know, Lord. Who will you send with me? And then in the afternoon, I had my eyes glanced down further in that passage, and then saw this verse. And he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. So I accepted that as coming from the Lord that he wanted me to go, that his presence would go with me, not to worry whether I should have a wife at that stage or not. And so I made a notation in my Bible here, on November 17th, day of prayer. When we were celebrating our 25th anniversary over here at the church, and the church people had an occasion for it, I pulled out this old Bible and came across this, which was referring to the day when I prayed for a wife. Who would have been? And for the first time, after 25 years, I discovered for the first time that November 17th, the day I prayed about a wife, two years later, it became our wedding day. That's the day we were married. I, I had no idea that that was so, but God providentially led me to pray on that particular day. And then when we set the wedding day, we had no idea that this was true. In fact, didn't know until we were celebrating our 25th anniversary. That was the day God answered She's been a wonderful wife. And he goes on to say nice things about my mother. And you know how when we as pastors share stories like that, you think, uh, fudging there, rounding off the edges there. Here is the Bible that my dad was speaking of. So I looked at it this week. In the front of it, it was given to him by his mother and his dad. And it says, to John from mother and dad, Christmas, 1936. That's before many of us in this room were born. And I opened it up to Exodus chapter 33. They're underlined in pink. And the side margin, it says 11, 17, 1944, day of prayer, right next to the verses that he read. I'll tell you what that means to a son. To see a father so completely trust in the providential sovereign working of a father in heaven that when we don't know what God's doing, we model faith. I'm still working on what that faith looks like as I encounter things that I don't quite know what's up next. But how important and how impactful it can be when we live out the reality of the sovereign work of God. Again, that's secondary application. Primary was God sovereignly in the fullness of time brought his son to redeem and adopt us But secondarily, we have those little small pictures of our lives where we live out the truth of God sovereignly, divinely, 
providentially directing our lives, and we pass on that faith that follows us, those who follow us. That's the beauty of God bringing those kinds of stories to our minds. Because then God wants to continue on, and he wants us to know that he wants us to be adopted. He wants us to be his children. No longer a slave, but now as a father. That's the relationship he seeks for us. This last week, we did a little video interview with Rick Larsh, a judge here at Calvary Church, Superior Court judge. He works in family law. And uh, I want you to hear a little interview with him as he talks about sort of the, the legal aspects and the reality of adoption and how important and powerful an element that is. So take a look and take a listen. Hi, Calvary family. I'm so glad to introduce to you uh, Rick Larsh right here, a member here at Calvary Church, and he serves as a judge in the Orange County area. And tell us what your role is as a judge. I'm a Superior Court judge in the family court uh, area of the law for the last five years. Before that, for 15 years, I was in the criminal department, and I handled uh, all sorts of criminal cases, a lot that we saw in the news. After 15 years, I thought I'd make a change to a difficult area uh, in the law, and that's family law. Mm-hmm. Well, we're thankful that we have a good Christian man in family law because that's an area that we care about deeply here at Calvary Church. And as we go through this book of Galatians that we've been studying here, we're right in that midpoint of Galatians 4. And uh, Paul is now introducing this concept that we're going to be adopted as his children. And I know that you've been involved with that and you have some background in that area of adoption. And maybe give us a little bit of insight as to what is adoption look like from your perspective and helping to rescue children, but also place them in beautiful homes as well. Well, one of the things I can tell you is that the adoption court is the happiest place on earth. We might have thought it was Disneyland, but it really is the adoption court. When you come into court, you're in a controversy typically. In adoption court, there's joy, there's excitement, there's hope for a new future of the families that are coming through the court. Mm -hmm. And it's really a pleasure to have that opportunity as a judge to sit through that experience and to preside over cases where you're giving over to a family, a child, to nurture, to raise up, and care for. Mm -hmm. And when they're adopted, they claim all the legal rights as a biological child. Is that correct? That's correct. When they come in, there's there's actually an investigation that's done to make sure that they're appropriate, that they can nurture the child, that they can care for the child. And they have to go through that investigation, pass, and then they have to come to court and swear under oath that they will abide by the obligations of a parent to take care and raise that child. Once that's done, we declare that child to be their child. And that child has all the rights of inheritance. That child is as a natural born child. Mm, That's a beautiful concept because that's what Paul is teaching us here in this passage. We have all the rights of a child of God, the inheritance of heaven and all the blessings of this world today. Do you know of a situation that you could share with us about uh, how the adoption process has been just a real blessing to a family? Probably for me, the most uh, incredible story of adoption came through my experience of meeting Gianna Jensen here at Calvary Church. She came and spoke and she sang. She was a young lady whose mother had gone in for an abortion and divinely, miraculously, the abortion did not uh, work and her life was saved. Mm. And as a result, uh, she was put into foster care 
adopted at four, and now is an incredible, beautiful young lady that is fighting for uh, the lives of others. She has a hope and a future, and I can't think of a circumstance where you would feel more worthless, more at loss. And uh, I think that's the best example I can think of. But we have that every day, where families are just in horrible situations and they give up their child because there is no hope in that home and we have families that are willing six a week on average really? are willing to step up and say we'll take this child and we'll raise the child well mm-hmm. well my prayer is that we as a church would be that kind of a home when people are lost and sort of not sure about where their life is going that we'd be a family to them much as God wants us to be his family as well So thank you for being part of this and uh, helping us in our governmental system, but also being part of the family called Calvary Church that we can welcome people in, and sometimes they've lost their way. We want to give all the blessings we can to them as well. Fantastic. It's One of the things, Dave, that I thought when you asked about this was what happens. The child is the recipient, but the joy that I really see is in the parents. Mm. And it reminded me of my faith. The joy of the father with the prodigal son when he comes home. And I see that every week in our adoption court. Mm -hmm. And it's to have that opportunity, because we're all adopted, Romans 8.15 tells us. And uh, as a result, uh, to come to Calvary and to be part of one family Mm -hmm. is just a blessing. Do you think of the joy of our father in heaven? We don't realize all the blessings we get, but the joy of the father, he sees that. And so it is with the families you deal with as well. So thanks, Rick, helping us understand this a little bit better. You're more than welcome. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for leading us. Great. Appreciate it, Rick. You think about it, I was thinking about that, the adoption process where somebody has to come in and sort of pre-qualify those who would be the adoptive parents. What I love about that image is that Jesus Christ pre-qualifies all of us to be in a role as his children, but also as one who could mentor others into adoption of the family of God. And it helps me to think about that. You think about that happiest place on earth is the adoption court. I think, I don't always think about the Father in heaven. And like those parents who have suddenly been given all the rights and privileges as a father or a mother, those children have. Sometimes I don't think and appreciate how much joy there is in Father of heaven. And how much joy he has when he sees you and me believe in Jesus and then Jesus adopts us and suddenly the Father in heaven says, wow, you are now my son. And this is what Paul is talking about. In those days you can read stories about Christians who would go out and they would find abandoned babies by the Roman citizens who couldn't keep those children and they would just discard the baby's bodies. But it was believers in Jesus that would take those babies and adopt them as their own. And Paul plays off of that beautiful imagery of bringing us into the family of God and the joy that our Father has that we become his children. And then Paul wraps up this passage in this last verse. In Galatians 4, 7, he says this, Therefore... Therefore, in light of all the sovereign work of God that he has done, you're no longer a slave. And these little children remember growing up like a slave. 
until the day came that the father wrapped them, clothed them in the toga. And Paul says, I clothe you in Christ. You are now my son. No longer a slave, but a son. And of a son, then an heir. What I love about what Paul is doing is he's moving them forward. We have an inheritance. Paul says God has given to us that inheritance. Some of the inheritance we enjoy on earth and some of the inheritance we'll gain in heaven. There's a lot of inheritance we get on earth. When I think about what a great dad I am, our two girls, yeah, I do. Well, listen to what I have to say before you. Our daughters have already enjoyed much of our inheritance. We have never charged them for room and board since the day they were born. When they were five, when they were 10, when they were 15, everything was free. We didn't make them leave us a tip at the table after, after dinner. So they've already enjoyed their inheritance today. And you know, spiritually, we enjoy the inheritance of heaven every day. The many blessings that are ours. The provisions that God daily provides for us. They are always there. And there will be an inheritance in heaven. Now let me offer to you one last self-indulgent time with my dad. When my dad was finally finishing up his ministry at Bethany Bible Church, he was about my age, right? My age today. And what I appreciated about his heart was his future forward-looking perspective. In his last time with Bethany Bible Church as their pastor, these are his words that you're going to hear. He talks a little bit about some of the people that you won't know. I remember those people. But then he gets to the point that I want you to hear. Listen to the perspective that he, as an older man, has given to me, and I pray that he gives it to us. So take a look and listen. Well, what can you say after a time like this? If I'd known retirement was so much fun, I would have done it many times. I, I feel like they are back in Texas, you know, when they throw out a, a lot of accolades back there. They get you together and say all these nice things that you've been saying. And back in Texas, they say they really make over you. Now, you put that into Pennsylvania Dutch, and it doesn't come out that way. They say they make you over. <laughs> and I feel like I need to be made over for this period of so-called retirement that we're going into. And I'm sure you only said these things tonight because they're true. Or they they must, must have been. But uh, a lot of the things that have been said have triggered a recall to me of very, very precious moments in the ministry of Bethany Bible Church. And if you will tolerate just some examples that I trust will be repeated in the coming years, in the coming generation of Bethany Bible Church. I remember when Catherine Sear was, was secretary here, and one Thursday afternoon she said, you know, here's a name. I think it might be well for you to go and talk to that family. And so it was a new family. The child was in kindergarten. I didn't know who they were. I went to that home that night, Thursday night, and both the husband got down on his knees and prayed to accept Christ, and the wife got down on her knees to rededicate her life to the Lord that evening, and that was Patty Cheatham, precious moment. And then Ruth Lidner was 
and Bill were seeing me this morning, and uh, I remember how they beautifully decorated this house, this house of the Lord with flowers, and one day she called in, she said, you know, I think it would be well if you'd go to see a man uh, whose wife I work with in the flower garden club. Dave Clem and I went that night, and that was the night we talked to Dean Glasgow in his home that he's referring to. And Larry, I remember that night, Tuesday night, uh, when we read that Bible class, we never did recall and talk about it, but you know, that was, if you don't remember that, that was one of the nights that we had six weeks of Bible studies out in the Northwest Phoenix, and that was the beginning of the foundation formation of Trinity Bible Church. And so out of those events came some very long-lasting memories, and and I'm sure Vern Van Hovel is, I can imagine how delightful he is to see his son up here uh, singing like this. If I was Vern, I'd be honestly proud of that. And uh, Ralph Springer having his son-in-law up here singing as well. Uh, I think of these as the next generation representing the future of, of a ministry here at Bethany Bible Church, the Timothys. And if I can share anything with you in my concluding statement here is that this congregation tonight, your presence tonight, is a real tribute, a real tribute to what God has been doing here through you and through the leadership of Bethany over these years. But I'm looking to the future. And as Paul said, as we saw in Timothy this morning, uh, as to the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not only for me only, but also for all of those who love his appearing. And I can only lay before you a challenge, dear people, that when your new senior pastor comes on the scene, that you will, from the very beginning of his ministry here, be strongly supportive, as strongly supportive as you are here tonight of my closing phase of the ministry. You have been so responsive. But what a thrill it would be for a new senior pastor to come in and see this kind of support rallying around him not waiting for him to leave, but waiting for him to come and say, here we are, we're ready to serve. And I'm sure that the staff of the church uh, will be grateful for that kind of support of ministering on behalf of others reaching here in this locality and also around the world. So I'll be praying for you, and I'll, I'll trust that you'll also be praying for us as I carry on a little interim ministry elsewhere, trying to bridge the gap from one pastor to another. And so that will be done here. And be supportive of the church. Be here in your presence and also in your prayers. I'm sure that that would be a stepping stone to making Bethany of the future an even greater church than it's been in the past. All right. I love, I love the heart. Get that? The heart that goes to see people be saved. The heart that says there's a generation that follows along that has a role to play. A heart that says it's the future, not the past, that's most important. As the Apostle Paul says, there is an inheritance for you. Your heirs, we're enjoying some of it now. But he also teased it up and says, but there's more yet in the future. And that we want to move forward to where God takes us. As a church, as individuals, as families. That we have a heart for where God is taking us. That's what's most important. So as a son, I'm thankful that I have a father that models for me a heavenly father. 
that is always looking out for my best interest, but also looking into the future of sovereignly and providentially controlling and guiding and caring for me as an adopted son into his family. And I thank God for that privilege. And you who follow Jesus, you too can be part of that as well. In fact, if you've never been adopted into the family by believing in Jesus, Jesus has come to do two things, to redeem you today, save you from your sins, but secondly, to adopt you into the family of God, to have the sovereign rule of God in your life in a personal way for your daily existence. Like my dad asking, God, I don't have a wife. And then two years later, on that same day that he prayed, a wife that he married. That was a Monday night, as a matter of fact, on the 17th of November. And so God wants to providentially work in all of our lives. So if you've never trusted in Jesus, we invite you to do that. You can put that on the card. We're going to take our offering here as I wrap up. You can put it on the card, I would like to trust in Jesus as my Savior. Or during this time, come up here and we would love to pray with you and support you in that as well. So these are things that we invite you to respond to and be part of. And we have people that would love to pray with you at our prayer points as well. So let me pray for us as we receive our offering and respond in worship once again. Father God, I thank you that you're a loving God who has providentially worked in many of our lives here today. That God, in the fullness of time, you sent your son Jesus to be the redeemer and the adopter of each of us. Father, I pray for those who have yet to allow Christ to finish the work in their lives. And that maybe they need to trust in Jesus for the first time today. Or perhaps like as my dad mentioned about Patty Cheatham, I remember her father, that she rededicated her life to Christ. Maybe that's what needs to take place. That you would continue to shape us as you have designed us, as you have adopted us, as we are your children, that we bring great joy to you as a father in heaven. Father, may these gifts reflect that joy that we have in you. And may our response be one that is in keeping with your love and grace today and on into the future. Father, thank you for that. As we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice. 
Stand together and sing this last verse. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from with this truth on our hearts. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear For I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear For I am a child of God Sing this together. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love is called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. Sing it out. I'm no longer a slave for I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave yes I am a child of God. Sing it again. I'm no longer. I'm no longer a slave. Child of God, I'm no longer a slave to fear. 
love to pray with any of you who maybe are on a stage of life and you're not sure, am I fully adopted? Am I part of God's family? Has the fear been washed away in the joy of the Father who sees you as his child? We'd love to pray with you and support you. Come on up here in the front. We'd love to help you sort of find your way to that beautiful place as an adopted child of God. So help us in coming up here so we can see you and know you and spend time with you. I'll be out in the lobby Love to meet you there as well. But also pray for our folks that are out. We have a bunch of college students that are in Thailand and Cambodia dealing with the challenge of sex trafficking that is taking place so terribly there. And then we have high school students be heading out to Albania and then to Costa Rica. I encourage you to keep this handy. Pray for them that God would bless in their lives and through their lives and all that are there. The Apostle Paul loves that theme of being adopted into his family He said it in Galatians, he also said it in Romans, and I leave this passage that he gave to us in Romans 8. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs, also heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So God has placed us as a co-heir with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's no better, sweeter spot than that. So let me give thanks to our Father in heaven and thanks to the dads as you celebrate your day today as well. Father God, help us as we continue on this journey. Lord, that element of fear, that that does hit us, it hits me, because we don't always know what you have for us, but God, help us to trust you as a sovereign, providential, controlling God, who is a loving Father, who unconditionally gives to us whatever we need, and has sent your Spirit into our hearts, so we can cry, Abba, Daddy, Daddy in heaven. And Father, I thank you for the dads that are here, that you bless them with power, bless them with boldness, with love, that they pass that on. And your sovereign work in their lives, whether their dad was a great dad or maybe a little bit less than that, but Father, but they be the dads that begin this generation of a providential God as that is passed on to their children and grandchildren. Father, thank you for all these things. 
if we look to you in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Give us love.